Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And I'm your other host, Matthew Rodriguez. And today we are joined by... Hi, I'm Gabe Gonzalez. Yay. <laughs> Yay, Gabe. We're so happy to have you. Yes. Thanks. I'm really happy to be here. Um, I was so excited to rewatch this episode to uh, refresh my memory. Uh, I have a lot of feelings, many thoughts. Really excited to talk about this. Well, that's good, because I bring all of the feelings all the time, so... <laughs> it's usually Matthew rolling his eyes about my feelings. Yeah, <laughs> I can always feel it through the airwaves. I see the eye rolls in my head. So. Um, Gabe, I actually didn't even know you liked Buffy until Matthew was like, oh, Gabe's going to be on. Oh, my God. I So I've actually rewatched all of Buffy twice, and then I will watch Braddock episodes every now and then. Yeah, uh, but I became like a huge, huge Buffy fan, kind of in college, and then right after graduation. Great, yeah, happened very swiftly. While we're here, yeah. tell us your Buffy origin story since you're a first time guest. Oh my god, my Buffy origin story. My Buffy origin story. Uh, it's always been like queer people telling me to watch Buffy, which is so funny. There was yeah. a grad student in like the film department where I went to college, uh, and he taught a TV studies class, and we were like talking about TV. Um, over like coffee you know what I mean it was like that thing where you would just like meet with other queer people to be like oh my god you exist like let's just talk this is yeah. so small and so strange um, so we like sought each other out we were like equally nerdy and he was like oh I think you'd really like Buffy had never seen it um, and uh, I think the film was like on the syllabus for a class he was teaching uh, that year but he's like this is one of the few cases where I'm going to tell you the like weird TV spinoff is like leagues better than the movie yeah. Uh, and I gave it a shot and I fell in love and I didn't like watch the entirety of it. Uh, and then I moved to New York and it was in New York that I like binged the entire show. And then like months later when I got a new roommate who was obsessed with Buffy, binged it all over again with her. It was fantastic. Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was actually like a little bit of a late bloomer as well to the show. Um, but yeah, also, it's worth pointing out that today is what uh, this podcast is what third, fourth all Latinx podcast, Matthew. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. Yay. Um, yeah. <laughs> Gabe will have to pick up all the Spanish cause Matthew and I are not that good at it. <laughs> yes. He has. Yes. <laughs> yes. My, my Spanish all sounds like my like 80 year old grandmother. That's like how I speak Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's perfect. Um, we'll bring out our abuelitas. Yeah. Um, so our, our today boss. we're here to discuss the episode Something Blue. Yay. Yes. Um, which I think is a predecessor to the season six episode Tabula Raza, but I think both of them do the same thing really well. Um, mm. Like, oh, a spell made them, made all this like silly nonsense happen, and I, I'm pretty much here for it. Anyway, um, Matthew, would you like to begin? Sure. Um, so we kind of open with Willow being like mopey about Oz leaving. Um, and she looks it's a t shirt. I love that moment. Sorry to interrupt your show, <laughs> no, but that's exactly what she, like. I do think that, that t shirt sniff was so limited. <laughs> but Willow has so many iconic t shirts and shirts and stuff in season four. Um, but let's talk about right after Willow leaving the show deciding to have Riley hang a lesbian banner. Yes, 
right? It's so on the nose because the next episode we meet Tara and like... Right, like they're literally like signaling like lesbian, lesbian, lesbian. <laughs> the lesbians like are coming. like that of the lady walking down the street and just seeing like terrible lesbian puns and everything. <laughs> <laughs> just what that Easter egg is. Yeah, isn't it like she sees the word, she sees like Dick Van Dyke but looks at like... Yeah, yeah. Dyke. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um, and I mean, I feel like yeah, I wrote my notes like, this is really on the nose, but maybe I like it. I don't know. Because um, it's almost like they're saying, look, we're gay friendly. And then, like, the next episode we meet Tara, who's a lesbian, who is me and Matthew's love. Um, <laughs> my favorite, though, before the cr- they get to the credits is that scene where Buffy is talking about her relationship, like, with Riley and seeing... Um, you know, because so prior to this episode, she there was a crossover episode where she went to L.A. to see Angel. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. So this is the first episode after that crossover, and she's talking about seeing Angel in L.A. And, I mean, we'll bring this up when we talk about best outfits, but this is the iconic Willow wrap that I talk about all the time, that she's wearing this, like, <laughs> restrictive sweater, and I just love it so much. But, um... I love her line delivery when they're talking and Buffy's like, it seems like he wouldn't cause me any pain. And Willow goes, get out, get out while there's still time. (laughs) (laughs) But it's so true. (laughs) I mean, this episode says what I've always felt about Riley. And I know, I mean, I don't think it's that controversial in the Buffy verse to say that he's like the most vanilla, like, I don't know, just like, half-heated toast man she's ever dated it's wild <laughs> well they don't give him up they don't do very a very good job at like filling him out as a full person i always say like i'm a fan yeah. of the riley relationship in general because i think that like she doesn't need to be a with her high school sweetheart or be with her like assaulter so i'm yes. a fan of, like a healthy buffy relationship but they don't do a good job of like fully making him realize because i and i said this in the last episode we were recording like Half of his dialogue sounds like bad WB dialogue. Like they're not, they're, they don't, it's not like elevated Buffy dialogue. It just really sounds cheesy when he says it. Right. Yes, I agree. <laughs> um, but I think, so I, is this before or after the credits when Willow's drinking? Is that before? That's after, isn't it? Right after. Um, <laughs> the scene really bothers me because she's not really doing anything wrong. Like, girl's getting drunk. All right, let her be. It's not like she's, like, getting drunk and, like, I don't know. Right? Like, I don't really think she's doing anything wrong. Like, she's allowed to be, like, sad and, like, get a little drunk. Well, the show is always alcohol shaming. Like, Beer Bad was doing that and this this episode. Like, I mean... And Buffy directly references Beer Bad. They don't ever explain how Willow got served a beer, but um, it's still, like... I mean, like... If anything, take her to task for liking all the small things. You know what I mean? Like, you could judge her oh, music taste God. if you want, or her dance moves. I personally love the song. Um, oh, good, Gabe. Gosh, I was, I was worried we were about to break up, Gabe, because... <laughs> no, I just feel like someone at the table was ready to judge her for it. They were like, oh, this is such a great song. And I felt so loaded and insincere. Um, <laughs> but I was like, sure, like, do that. Like, whatever. But leave her be. Let her dance it off. Yeah, because she's just, like, drunk and dancing. It's not even, like... Yeah, for real. Like, relax. I do that when I'm not depressed. Like, come on. (laughs) 
am I, yeah, the, am I the problem? Like, that's the thing. Right? Though, like, they're not. I mean, so there's like a lot of, and I'm sure we can all remember like emotionally fraught situations like this because Willow is very depressed, and it is in this episode later on where they all say like we're all over Willow being whiny, but then when she's having fun, they're also criticizing her. Yeah. So it's kind of like. Right. You need to allow your friends to deal with the things that they have to deal with in a certain way. And it's also like, there's a difference between her going out and having a beer one night than like, it's been five months and Willow's yeah. just been drunk. Like, you know. Right. It like just happened. Like he just moved out. I've always called this like the season of Willow because I feel like we finally start um, to see stories, like not necessarily from her perspective, but sort of skewed to her perspective, right? Like, I feel like the characters are so blind to her needs uh, in a really hyperbolic way to sort of underscore the fact that, like, they kind of always have been, you know what I mean? Like, they rely on Willow for so much, this, like, whole budding magic power, like, kind of just to be the intelligent one, even if she's, like, a little awkward, kind of fumbles. Um, And I think for so long, like, Willow's emotional needs were sort of put aside as Buffy's sidekick. Um, And I think, I don't know, the coming of Tara also sort of highlights her coming into her own. uh, Yeah which is really cool, but I'm just, like, glad that, you know, this episode finally is, like, all right, like, people really expect a lot of Willow, and she has no time to, like, be herself or live her life. Like, she's expected to be part of the gang at all, all times. Well, yeah, is, like, I don't know. Like, you're so waste, like, she's wasting their time being sad, as though, like... Right, know. it's like, let a bitch have a moment in her dorm. Like, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> like, I've spent months in a dark dorm just, like, drinking and smoking and not talking to people. <laughs> Give her a day. A day. Yeah. Um, really interesting with you, but, like, because I remember, like, um, getting the DVDs for all the seasons, and, like, Willow was only on the DVD cover for season four. Yeah. I always thought that they had, like, arranged it so that the people who, like, mattered the most that season were on the cover. So, like, on season five, it was Buffy and Dawn. And then season six was, like, Buffy and Spike. And I forget who was on season seven. Um, Season season seven is just Buffy and Spike. Yeah, and then season three, like, Faith and Angel and stuff like that. So this really is, like, I think you kind of hit it on the head that, like, this is Willow season. And I think that this episode is so crucial, and we'll go through it, because I feel like so much of who Willow becomes starts in something blue. Like, we've talked in the past, there was another episode, oh, well, the episode where um, Oz leaves, Wild at Heart, like, you see Willow get really emotional and use magic to, she doesn't really go through with it, but you see her with the beginnings of using a spell to get back at Veruca. And then this episode is where, like, she tries to use a spell to, like, heal herself, and she actually does go through with it, and you see what happens, like, one, how powerful she is, and how awry things go. And I think that, like, this is, like, a huge indicator early on. There's a scene early that we skipped, but I, I, it's, like, when she's talking to Giles, and she says she's going to go to the magic shop. It So because they do this whole, like, magic addiction language, I even feel like there's an early indicator of it there, because there's this whole thing of, like, her saying she's going to the magic shop to get things for Giles, but she's actually going, she's like using that as an excuse to get things for her own spell. And it's almost like when an addict lies, like they're like, Oh, I'm just going to the store to get Cheetos, but they're getting like, you know, whatever they're addicted to. I don't know. It had, it read like that to me, like a very early indicator that she was lying to Giles so that she could go to the magic shop to get stuff for her revenge spell. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think... I just love that the to-do list 
Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to, this is, sorry, a very flippant aside. I just really enjoyed that. The to-do list was donuts and motherwort. I was like, <laughs> yeah. I just want to get up on like a Saturday morning and be like, all right, just going off to Duncan and the magic shop to like get the things I need to do. Honestly, like it's like donuts and revenge on men. And that's like, my <laughs> Yo, right. that's it. That's every to-do list every day. So. <laughs> um. Yes, I, yes, I agree. Um, so, yeah, I, so I get really annoyed, and I mean, they do this on this show often, and I can never tell if it's, like, on purpose or not, but they all kind of, like, shit on Willow. Like you guys said, it's like, oh, she's out having fun drinking, this is a problem. Oh, she's being sad and grieving the loss of her, like, you know, first long-term relationship. She's being annoying. Like, what, like... I, it really, because I think they actually do a really, as someone who has gone through some ahem shit in the last year, I think that they really accurately portray how you feel after, like, a breakup of a long-term relationship. And, like, sure. Willow's not being unrealistic, I mean, until she does a spell that ends up backfiring and causing her friends to be in actual danger. But, like, up until that point, all the things she says are really true. And I think, you know, she says... When Giles goes to see her, and Giles actually is being the most fair of the Scoobies, because of course he is, he always is. Um, you know, he goes to see her, and she's like, oh, I get it, because of the drinking. And he's like, no, I didn't even know you were drinking, you just missed our appointment, and that's unlike you. And he's like, we're all very... I don't know, though. What? I think he was kind of harsh to her there. You think so? Because he came down on her so hard for not getting the things, and she's like, I'm a little down. And he was like, well, you got to get it together. Like, this is serious. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know. Like, he felt like the least nurturing in that moment to me. I mean, granted, he's the only one that, like, went out of his way to visit her. Um, but I mean, even I was shocked that Giles wasn't more perceptive to her needs, because I feel like he usually would be, I guess. But I Well, I felt like... I, I get that... <sighs> I don't know, so, like, uh, the the only part where I'm, like, I get it is because it's, like, oh, they're doing a spell, they're, like, they're working on saving the world or saving whatever demon problem, right. so that's the only time when I'm, like, okay, I get him being, like, hey, I know you're depressed, but we need to do this thing, because, like, there's yeah. demons and monsters that are gonna kill people. Um, Some high-stakes shit, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I feel like everything she says, like, I don't know, like, I, I kept being, like, same girl, like, I understand, like, her saying... Of course, I brought up the script so I could look up the actual line, but like, oh yeah, you care. Okay. Everybody cares. Nobody wants to be inconvenienced. You all want me to take time and go through the pain as long as you don't have to hear about it anymore. And, you know, he says that's not fair. And she says, I'm doing the best I can and it doesn't seem to be enough for you guys. And I feel like that's fucking real and like, ah, I just very much. I think it's like a, a thing of both because one of the things that Willow does this episode is she does that thing that people often do where like you only go talk to people because you want to talk about how miserable you are mm -hmm. and like she she does the rounds like she tries with Giles and she's complaining about stuff to Giles and then when she goes to Xander she's complaining about how Giles didn't respond the way he wa she wanted him to respond so she's just, like, going through her friends, and it's kind of like that thing where you get a call, and, like, they ask you how you are, and they talk for 45 minutes. Yeah. And she's being bad in that sense. But I think you're also also right, Gabe, in that, like, Giles seems to be visiting her not to check on her, but to scold her. Because, like, I think, like, she's a college freshman and is going through a breakup, and, like, 
she said she would be somewhere, but like she's going through a lot. And I feel like he only came to her with his own agenda of wanting to be rude with her. So I think that there's like fault on both sides. Like she's using, she's just like also not only beating up herself, but like, as you see in this episode, she's beating up on all of her friends for not being there for her enough. I don't know. So it's both. Yeah, and I I mean, there's also this thing where it's like, how often is Willow there for them without reservation? Like, it even struck me so strange that when they're walking through the graveyard, just like her and Buffy earlier on in the episode, I'm going a little out of order, I'm like backtracking here, but they're like walking through and like Buffy's just complaining about having a very nice guy in her life trying to date her. And like, Willow was surprisingly um, calm and steady during that conversation. Like, if it were my friend, I'd be like, can we talk about something else? Like, the love of my life just disappeared. I, like, really don't need to hear about, like, your first world problems with, like, this beautiful man that has, like, giant biceps and wants to sit down on a fucking field with you and feed you. Like, why is this a problem right now? Like, <laughs> Right? Like, I would have, I personally would have flipped out. Like, I thought Will was calm and collected during that little, like, graveyard walk. That was, like, smooth. For her, but... I mean, I think, I. so the problem is, I think that Willow... I mean, it goes back to Doppelgangland, where, like, she's really mad when they call her old reliable. And I think that they yes. often, they still do that, even in, within season four. Not till I think, like, midway through season five does she pick it up as being clearly the other leader of the group. Um, right. And then, you know, especially after Buffy dies. But they still kind of do, like, lean on her, and she is kind of a pushover. Um, yeah. So, I don't know. I feel like, I don't know. I mean... You're you're both right, too, but I just feel like Willow's depression over the breakup, or at least momentary, like, having a moment, is yeah. valid, you know? Totally. And I feel like they do kind of are like, you know, because later on in the episode, after, the, like, the spell happens, Xander says, Willow, and him and Buffy both say they're tired of hearing about how sad she is, and, like, okay. it's been, like, three days, like, everyone relax, like... Yeah. She's allowed to be upset that the guy she dated for over a year, like, abruptly left. After cheating on her, like... Totally. I don't know. But also, um, I'm relating it to my life, so... <laughs> <laughs> we, we can all project a little bit yeah. about this episode. Um, it's also really weird, I mean, you made a good point, Gabe, like, Buffy and Willow both are going through different things... Like, Buffy and Willow both are going through heartbreak, like, almost one right after the other, where Buffy's, like, upset about Parker, and, like, it's really weird. They don't have a scene where they're both just commiserating. It's usually Buffy's complaining to Willow or Willow's complaining to Buffy, but never, like, at the same, I don't know, like, not at the same time. And it feels like they could very much have a same-time moment where they're both like, man, this fucking sucks, like, these men are garbage, like, blah, blah, blah. Um... Because, like, Buffy goes through Parker, and then, you're right, then Buffy goes through literally just complaining about, oh, there's this really nice guy, and he has nice arms, and it's like, fuck you. (laughs) Well, you know what's interesting is I feel like there's a missed opportunity from a writer's perspective here, because Willow is complaining about someone leaving, and it was Oz, and as we all know, like, Oz and Willow, I mean, yes, Willow lost her virginity to Oz, but they weren't, like, the most hot and heavy couple. They didn't seem like they were supposed to go the long haul or whatever, but... Like, Buffy is still only six months out from, like, losing the love of her life, who she had to kill to save the world, and he also left. 
And she just came back from LA to see him. So I thought it was interesting from a writer's perspective to just have her talk about Riley. Like if your friend is like, oh, I just lost like this person. I as Buffy would be like, well, yeah, I know you're going through like, remember when Angel left like six months ago and like, we were never, we're not allowed to see each other really anymore, but he's like, you know, the love of my life and blah, blah. I don't know. Like there's a, I actually felt like it was weird that she was talking about Riley and not Angel because they do seem to be in like a similar predicament. Yeah. Yeah. There are so many moments where I feel like the subtext is Angel, but she's not really speaking his name. Like the moment after uh, Willow realizes that Oz uh, had his stuff to move, stuff moved and she's in bed and like they're both talking and she's just like sobbing. Willow's just, like, going on and on about this stuff, and Buffy looks so vacant. She's just sort of, like, not even looking at Willow, just kind of, like, staring off and being like, yep, I know, like, it's gonna get better. And I was, like, to me, like, the whole subtext there was, like, yep, I literally just went through this. Like, remember last season? Like, let's talk about it. <laughs> well, it's know. funny because there seems to be this <laughs> difference, and I don't know exactly how to explain it. Maybe it's some kind of privilege or something. I don't know. It's, like, when Buffy has a breakup, like, she still has to go to work and save the world. She can't take a day off and mope in her room and, like, listen to music. Yeah. Like, she still goes about her thing. And I think that part of it is that she's kind of resentful that Willow has put her entire world on hold. And I get that. I get that. Like, I'm on the opposite side of it where I am someone who, like, always goes to work, even if I'm sad, even if I'm depressed. Like, I work through my depression. And so I've had that reaction with people where I'm like, well, why are you, like, not doing the things that you regularly do like why are you taking this time off or whatever so i actually think that there might be like this undercurrent of buffy being like listen like the love of my life is not here with me and you see me going to work every day and i'm not in my room like you need to get out and go do some shit right right yeah i mean that's fair um but also like i don't know man i feel like everyone's depression is different blah 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 and like no I think that's right or wrong, but I think that that's like that's where she's coming from. People who are high functioning or people who have obligations too, like yeah, they sometimes feel a resentment, and that's why I also brought up the privilege thing because there's that thing, right? Like it's like if you're a real housewife and you go through something, you can just like not do anything for a long time. But then there's like people of color who is like they have a trauma all the time, but they have to go to work and like like real housewives was your reference. But Buffy like (laughs) Buffy has a calling that she like can't take the night off like she's fought when she has the flu she's killed her boyfriend like who she (laughs) lost before that because he basically you know lost his soul again so she lost him that time and she had to go to work and kill him like i think so there's an underlying kind of like resentment i think that at least i see it in the writing of like buffy being like why do you get to like divorce yourself from the world yeah that's fair that's right yeah and I, I sort of love that, like, that tension is, is what's at the crux of this episode, right? Because it's, it's not necessarily pitting their pain against each other, but it, it does sort of dive into the complexity of pain being very personal and affecting people differently based on who they are and the conditions of their life and their lived experience. You know what I mean? Because uh, it's like... It's just like you said, it's like the whole undertone of like Buffy's attitude toward Willow. This episode sort of speaks to that, right? That it's like, okay, well, I've had to deal with it and I'm here. So like, get on it and like, let's fix it up. And for Willow, it's just so earth shattering, right? And I think even her character has undergone the most change at this point through the first four seasons. Like, 
it's just like, wow, she's got magic powers now. Like she is confident. Like she had a boyfriend, like, um, there's just so much. And yeah, and it feels like it was all sort of yanked out from under her. Cause it's, you know what I mean? I don't know. Well, I think also it's one of those things like maybe Buffy sees the world as bigger because she has all this responsibility. Like Willow, to me, like the way this seems is like Willow made Oz the center of her world. And then when the center of the world goes away, that's how you react. And Angel was never the center of Buffy's world, even though she loved him madly. Like her calling was always higher than that. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Also, it's worth pointing out that Spike is the first one that really notices that Willow's not doing well. Yeah, I love that moment where he's like sipping from the mug. Yeah. in the bathtub and he's like you're all so dumb <laughs> also yeah. I, I love that scene i think that scene is so good um oh it's my favorite in the yeah the episode for sure and like he's like drinking out of a novelty mug and he like calls attention to it um but i i i don't know for me because we we discussed this before like willow and tara too and dawn eventually are the ones that treat spike the most human out of the group like, they don't just shrug him off completely. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like he oddly is, like... Spike's, like, surprisingly perceptive as well, because he's the first one here that is, like... No, Willow, like, he doesn't really have much stakes in it. Like, he doesn't care about them at this point. But he's like, no, clearly she's in pain. Like, you idiots. Um, which is almost reminiscent of in Family, when Tara's family is all there, and they're like, no, blah, 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 she's a demon. And he walks up and punches Tara to prove that she's not a demon. But he still doesn't really, like, care. He's just like, look, let me fix this. Like, let me... Because you're all annoying me, like... Um, Well, that's what's so funny, too. I feel like it's easy to forget that um, he's a vampire, so he has, like, hundreds of years of experience. You know what I mean? And so it's like... You sort of wonder how much perception that breeds in an individual arguably without a soul, but, like, a lot of experience under their belt. But I do feel it's, like, little moments like that that sort of remind you of the limitations of humans in in this show sometimes, you know what I mean? Um, Or humans that don't necessarily possess uh, magical powers uh, or immortality. Yeah. Well, I mean, even in our previous episode where we talked about Pangs, um, uh, I don't know... So we we spoke to the writer of the episode Pangs, Jane F- Jane Espenson, about mm-hmm. Pangs, and she was saying one of the joys of writing Anya was that Anya kind of cuts through the bullshit and just says what it is. And in the absence of Anya in this scene, I think that like Spike had to do that because I think Spike has a very low tolerance for bullshit, and yes. so everyone there was kind of being like, oh, Willow's doing great. We're all such good friends. Like, you know, la-di-da. And Spike's like, you're all fucking delusional. Like, (laughs) Willow is literally about to go off and, like, do a spell that will seriously put us all in danger. Like, are you serious? (laughs) Yeah, and I mean, I think they always use Anya and Spike to do that, which for me always works because she's a former demon and he is a demon and they've both been around for a really fucking long time. Um, and they both tend to speak their mind, which for me makes, is why the characters are so enjoyable. And they both kind of fill the void that Cordelia left. (laughs) Oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, oh, I was thinking a lot about, um, sort of the limitation of controlling emotion with magic, how it's like her emotion, like definitely fuels it. Um, 
but I don't know, even this idea of like uh, controlling love, right? It's like no matter what kind of like fantasy story you're looking at, whether it's like, uh, I don't know, like an old folktale or like a fucking Disney movie, it's like, um, you know, you can't like wish uh, someone to fall in love with you and like still be themselves or like give them a potion and have them fall in love with you and still be themselves. And so it's like, I love that this episode sort of flips that and it's like, well, is heartbreak an emotion that can also be controlled? Like, do these things that we like can't quite find sense in uh, resolve themselves with magic. Um, and so I think like that, I don't know, that need to control the emotion and that sort of failing because it's impossible and you just sort of have to work through it as a human was so interesting to me because I think it's like, I don't know, sort of a parallel way that magic is tied to emotion for me this episode. But. Well, I think what you said was so interesting because I think it really cuts to like a lot of central questions about the spell that Willow chooses to do. So... She doesn't choose a revenge spell. She's not saying, like, I want to get revenge on Oz for what he did. She does a spell because she feels like she's not in control of her life. And she's like, I want what I want when I want it. And it's almost like a very, like, childlike way of thinking about what magic can do. I don't know. or I don't want to say childlike, but it's, like, coming from a pure place of, like, right now I have no control over the way my life is going. And I'm going to use magic to control my life and i don't know it's a very it's a very interesting thing for willow to do and i think it brings into i mean uh ian you said that tabula rasa is a sister episode to this one and i think you're right because tabula rasa comes out of like wanting to control the way that tara is reacting to her yeah and she is someone who can't i mean like willow steps in to use magic instead of having, instead of going through rough emotions, and that's actually, like, kind of dangerous. Yeah. And it's a really interesting way to think of Willow. Like, why can't she just have a tough conversation with Tara and understand that, okay, we're in a relationship, we're gonna be fighting for a week or something, but we're gonna get through it. Like, why can't she go through the roughness of heartbreak with Oz the way everyone else has to? Like, why does she think that she needs to resort to magic to make everyone around her do things the way that she wants them done? Yeah, I mean, you are right, yes. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think... So I know a lot of people consider Willow to be kind of selfish. Um, and, you know, clearly there's, like... She becomes a problem in season six when she tries to destroy the world. Um, <laughs> but I don't know. I feel like... I don't know. I Also, half of me is like, I'd abuse magic if I had it, probably. Like... I don't know, man. <laughs> well, I think, I mean, that's the other part of it, right? Is like, we're not, not only, I'm not seriously like chastising Willow, but I think that they are making an interesting observation about the human experience. Like, and maybe me bringing up the revenge thing is more me. Like, who knows? Like, I think that it's very interesting that instead of choosing to like turn Oz into a toad, she chooses to like empower herself, but like in a negative way. Like, she's like, I want my. Like, I want my will to be greater than others so that I bend the universe to my liking. And I think that, you know, kind of like how Cordelia just, like, burns Xander's pictures. Like, that's how most people, I think, would approach a breakup. Yeah. Is saying, like, what I can control right now is that I can burn these pictures and erase this person from my memory. And Willow says, well, I know magic, so I can go beyond just, like, burning pictures of Oz. I can go to the level of, like, 
making bending the universe to Willow's will. Yeah. Oh no! I mean, I was just yeah. I was gonna say I think it's the it's kind of it echoes what you said earlier that I think the intention behind it sort of shapes the way uh, the spell manifested, right? It's like the intention wasn't really direct. She was sort of flubbing what she wanted, right? She was like, I want like my will to be done. It was like, no, you don't. You want your boyfriend to come back, like yeah. Um, and so it's it is so interesting to sort of I don't know when because I feel like. It, in any story about magic, you sort of have to fill in the rules yourself. Like, they're never all quite spelled out. Yeah. And there are a lot of inconsistencies, I feel like. I mean, anything from, like, Harry Potter to, like, weird Jedi magic. I'm always like, wait, I thought this couldn't. Hold on. Yeah. And so for, for me here, I'm like, uh, I'm assuming that it's just, like, the world of Buffy is one in which, and I think this is proven a lot in later seasons, Tabula Rasa definitely being one episode, that emotion does and intention certainly does influence magic right uh and the way you might be able to utilize magic powers uh, and so i think it's just like she's not being honest with herself and i i don't think the spell was an honest one in that instance i don't know if you two are like bigger harry potter fans i will say this i'm someone who's like read each each book once and like seen each movie once and that's the extent like i like it but i know there are people who are like hxc about harry potter <laughs> um, I don't even remember a lot of like what happens, but the point is like, I think what you're saying, Gabe, is that like Harry Potter magic is kind of like neutral. Like it's a tool that anyone can use. Just like I can hand you a hammer and you can like use it to bash someone in the head or you can like use it to hang up a picture. But like the hammer is still the hammer, but it feels like in the world of Buffy, like the hammer can morph depending on what your intent is. Like the magic itself changes with your emotional state and your intent. Whereas like in Harry Potter, everyone just uses the same spells and they're supposed to come off the same, whether you're angry or sad or whatever. Well, I do feel like Harry Potter fans will read us on the, uh, what's it called uh, for dispelling the Dementors? Expelliarmus? Which is like a super emotional. Isn't that it? Yeah. No. Um, no. No, they're like your little animal thing. Oh, Patronus. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, the whole uh, thing Patronus is a particularly emotional spell, but I think that might right. be. Interesting. I mean, they're coming. Isn't that like supposed to come from a place of love, or like Harry's is great because it comes from a place of love, or something? Because love is like the underlying theme yeah. of, of the series. Sure. But like, <laughs> Harry, I don't know. Harry Potter never goes into the emotional territory of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, really. In truth, yeah. Well, because Harry, I don't think ever surpasses. Um, this sort of like role of savior or icon. Whereas like what I think is so interesting about Buffy is that the show is constantly pu uh, pulling Buffy in like these two separate directions. And it's like leaning into, obviously the source material does the same, but it's like leaning into this very like human, superfluous, um, dramatic personal world of like high school and college drama and like deep, rich interpersonal relationships that are really fucked up. Whereas, like, in Harry Potter, it's always, like, he's, like, a Jesus. Like, everyone knows him. And, like, no <laughs> one knows Buffy. You know what I mean? Like, Buffy walks down the street, and they're, like, who's this blonde? Yeah. Uh, it's, like, the H, so just, the H Christ stands for Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, book five is my favorite. And I've read book five and book seven both twice, I think. Um, and book five actually does a good job of, like, addressing the angst. Like, it addresses sure. the fact that, like, you know, he feels overwhelmed, he's he's getting, he's becoming a dickhead, he's also going through puberty, so that's why it's my favorite, because I like that it's complicated with emotions, and then also there's death and it's sad, so give me complicated emotions and crying, and I'm there. Um, and 
I don't know. I feel like book five is kind of like, for me, that's why that's the best one. And I think Buffy does that all the time where they address both the like, you know, like you just said, she can't, she can't stop working after a breakup, after something bad. She has to be like crying about her mother dying and also fighting glory at the same time. She has to be like crying about killing her boyfriend who went evil and then also fighting zombies at her mom's house. Like, so that's why, I don't know, for me, that's why this always works. I think Harry Potter does it a little bit, but like you guys said, it's like everywhere he went, everyone, he was like a celebrity. But also like, I want to go, I think the better, but the better analogy to make is like, they never make Hermione like an emotionally unstable person who might, who might have the power to, to like kill the, in the entire world. Right. Right. Like to me, Willow is the Hermione, like the best right. friend who's right. clearly better and like more powerful <laughs> and smarter but, yeah. and smarter. But yeah. Buffy makes that best friend role so interesting because she's also emotionally unstable and like has the power to eventually end, like she could end Buffy if she wanted to, you know? Yeah. But yeah, they never That's toy with that in, in Harry Potter. There's always, even though Hermione is clearly the brains of the operation, even when she's fucking petrified, she saves the day in Chamber of the Secret. In Chamber of Secret, <laughs> like yeah. they never give her more reverence than they do Harry. They don't emotionally complicated as much, and they don't make Hermione as emotionally complicated as a Willow. Well, yeah, it's so true. Like I feel like uh, in Harry Potter, they're so emotionally neutered. Like when it comes to sort of uh, confronting the politics and dynamics of, like, gender or sex. Like, you don't really see that in those books. Like, even, like, race and privilege is, like, besides that, like, weird mud-blood metaphor, like, there's no, you know what I mean? Like, you don't confront those things. And I think there's uh, something so cool about setting stakes so high in, in the real world in Buffy, right? That, like, we are dealing with, like, love, romance, sex, uh, and like being very honest about the gender dynamics of Buffy and Willow's roles and like every woman's role in this universe sort of. Right. And it's like, I don't know. I think the most we see Hermione sort of like engage with her identity as uh, like a sexual being is like at the dance with Victor Crumb where she like slow dances and like freaks out. Like, <laughs> I don't know. You know what I mean? Cause like they're all going through puberty. I'm like, I need more, I need more. And, um, like, where do, where do they go to jerk off? Where do they go to fuck in that castle? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to say not to stray into, like, other another fantasy world on a Buffy podcast, but uh, I have, I read The Magicians a while ago, and I've been watching the TV show, and it is very much that. It's like, yes. what if Harry Potter was in college, and people were, like, having sex and doing drugs with magic all the time? Do you it's, like The Magicians, Dave? Yeah, I loved the books. I feel ambiguous about the TV show after the first season. See... I fucking hate the books. Um, <gasps> I think they're garbage. Um, I'm wow. Sorry. Okay, so what I really think we need is a moment of unity right now. But I was so, going to say, but I like the TV show. Okay. <laughs> we'll talk. I loved Candace Kane as, like, the queen of the fairies. It was fantastic. Anyway. Um, yeah, anyway, so getting back to the Buffy episode we're talking about. <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> let's, let's get it just turned into like a queer nerd podcast for today. It's fine. Um, so obviously after uh, everything, she I mean, so she calls Xander a demon magnet, and then she says that Buffy and Spike should get married. And Sarah Michelle Gellar is doing such great comedic work in this episode. Like she is actually 
just really, really, really funny. And her and Spike together are hysterical and Giles just reaction. Everything is hysterical. So I was thinking, I mean, well, you know, maybe it's time to do our reading, Ian. Yes, I think that's a great idea. Um, um, okay, so we're going to do a dramatic reading. I'm going to play Buffy. Uh, Ian, who are you going to play? I'm going to play Spike. And our guest, Gabe, is going to play... I'm going to be Giles. Yeah, I'm doing it without the accent. Okay. I don't think gonna... we ever do accents when we read Giles. So I know, worry. but I just I feel so much pressure. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to try, though. Fine, we're fine. <laughs> um, okay, so I'll start with... Giles takes a swig of his drink. Buffy holds her hand out in Giles' direction. Oh, wait, then I have a different script than you do. <laughs> because my stage directions are different. Ah, you sent it to me before. I think the one you sent me before, I was like, oh, I already have it up, but yeah. it was a different thing. Okay, one second. <laughs> I'm getting to the spot. Okay, sorry, say it again. <laughs> Giles takes a swig of his drink. Buffy holds her hand out in Giles' direction. Giles, did you see my ring? Thankfully, not very well. Giles leans back and rubs his eyes. Buffy gets up from Spike's lap and goes to sit beside Giles. I'm not crazy, and I, I know that you probably don't approve, and my father's not that, that far away. I mean, he could, but this day is about family, my real family, and I would like you to be the one to give me away. Oh, Buffy, that's, that's so... Oh, for God's sake, this is nonsense. Something is making you act this way. Don't you realize what you're doing? She smiles and looks back at Spike. Living a dream. It's going to have to take a bit, bit of time to get used to it, pet. No, that should be Spike. Oh, yeah, that, wait, <gasps> that does say Giles. Oh, I was like, whoa. Mine said Giles. Yeah, that's why <laughs> I was like, this doesn't sound right. Giles would never say pet. Using my I stopped halfway through that line. It felt wrong. I was like, Giles wow. plus Buffy, pet. God, Let's we're really killing this reading. <laughs> Yeah. No, now you go, Ian. <laughs> He's going to have to take a bit of time to get used to it, pet. They all will. But you guys weren't crazy about Angel at first, either. Spike gets upset. You weren't going to say that name. Sorry. Why don't we just talk about where we're going to register? Well, where would Angel like to register? And can we have the photographer Angel would have wanted? And Flowers Angel would have liked? Hey, you think I don't live with the shadow of Drusilla over my head? That I'm not wondering if you're going to be thinking of her on our honeymoon when you're making sweet love to me? She walks to Spike and sits in his lap. They, you guessed it, kiss. Giles reaches for his glass of scotch, knocking it on the floor. Giles, are you okay? I rather think not. I seem to be rather, rather blind. Completely, in fact. Buffy walks over to him, concerned. What? How could this happen? She waves her hand in front of his face. Spike stands and walks to the bookshelf. A spell, I believe. Well, we'll fix it. Don't worry. What you want is a general reversal spell. Gonna need supplies. Are you helping me? Well, it's almost like your father and my, you're my father-in-law, isn't it? See? That's how it's gonna be. Spike will even take care of you while, while, I'm, at, while I'm at the magic shop. Buffy stands and walks to Spike, who takes her in his arms. From now on, we're a family. Giles gets all panicky. He stands and wobbles his way to the kitchen. That's all right. I'll have more scotch. 
<laughs> yes. Well, we're like, can I just say, crawled our way through that one. Can I just say, I find it hilarious when people spell magic with a K, and I love that the transcript uh, yeah. you sent spells magic with a K. I think it's so funny. Also, I, I totally stepped on your line, Gabe. <laughs> oh, I, not at all. There were typos galore in this. We're fine. I'm just pleased we got through it. <laughs> I'm just happy we got to the finish line. <laughs> we made it. We made it work, mijas. <laughs> we hicimos. We did it. Si se puede. <laughs> yeah. That account for, for not doing more Spanish this <laughs> episode. <laughs> we were When we had our other guest, David Vasquez, on, we were going to try to do... Him and I were Drusilla and Spike, and we were like, oh, we should have done it in Spanish. <laughs> oh, my God. If we could get a Spanish transcript of a Buffy episode, I will come back for a reading. Like, no <laughs> questions asked. Like, y'all don't even have to do a whole episode. I'll just pop in. It'll be great. Um, so you both actually pointed out something that I didn't like about the episode, but you both convinced me that I do. <gasps> um, I think it was you, Gabe. I can't remember which one of you said it. But that... Even if it's a spell making someone like you, they're not being themselves. Because I felt like Buffy was too silly in this episode. But, like, you're both... Whichever one of you said that was right. Because, like, this just wouldn't happen. So, of course, she's not going to be being herself. Like, for me, she felt too stupid. Um, but it is a spell making her do this. So, I guess that does make sense. Well, it's almost like Xander's love spell in Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered. Like... I don't think that they are themselves. I think that they're like a version of themselves and that they're only, the only thing they see is love for the other person. So almost like all the other faculties of their brain are shut down. So yeah. that's kind of how I see Buffy is that like Buffy is like infested by this like love demon and she's only acting in that way. No, I agree. Like I said, you both convinced me otherwise. Cause at first it bothered me. Cause I was like, she it just seems too stupid, like planning a wedding and blah, blah, blah. But I mean that's the spell, and so it she has to do that. So it's and it's not being herself. So therefore, yeah, it's like a curse. Like yeah, I feel like she was like trapped or like comatose, uh, or like part of her brain. I don't know. I don't know how magic works. I'm not going to try to explain it. <laughs> um, but it is true. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing when it comes to matters matters of the heart. Because she she says it when she's like looking in the mirror the day after she casts a spell. She's like, I want to heal my heart. I think when it comes to like things like that, there just seems to be this like universal rule and like all lore that it will never uh, turn out normally, right? That like something will always go awry if you like try to fuck with your heart. Yeah, uh, which is interesting. You don't want to. Um, can we also talk about this like weird like? demon manager that like shows up to try to scoop willow the hoffrin the hoffrin <laughs> which to me sounded like some like weird like vaguely irish like porn star name like kyle de hoffrin or like you know what i mean like <laughs> i was just... kyle de hoffrin does bear back <laughs> all right yeah sean no! <laughs> cody is kyle de hoffrin uh, Oh. Exploiting California Senator for millions of dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I actually really like the Hoffman, and I appreciate that he shows up like one episode a season from season three to season mm -hmm. seven. Um, yes, I think that actor is actually really good. Like for me, that's the demon stuff that Buffy does really well because yeah, he's like this manager. He's not like, I mean, he's an evil demon, but he's not like he's just like this like guy coming to talk to her. Well, I, I think that this is, so we, I, I, well, no, I said before that this episode, like, 
the rep- the repercussions of it like reverberate throughout the whole series because we get Willow's emotional magic and all this stuff. But then and then you brought it to Tabula Rasa. But then we also go back to Dahafran, and this is the first time we see him, and he's gonna like be it's the second time we see him. He's, he, well, he's like trying to get Willow to be part of the Vengeance Fold, and so to have him show up, it's. It like rounds out Anya's backstory and it's introducing this character that's going to have like a, a very big meaning later. So I actually think that like seeing him here is very interesting. Also, I think this is a good time to raise the question. Obviously, something blue is part of the like something old, something new, something borrowed, something blue, and Buffy's getting married. But I also think that DeHoffrin is the something blue. I was going to say because I yeah. he plays a very interesting role. It's like almost like kind of a C-plot they introduced last minute, and it resolves very strangely, but it's sort of this affirmation that, like, Willow's really fucking powerful. Like, she's like, we felt this shit across dimensions. Like, what's up? Like, I need you on my team. Um, (laughs) She was like, no, like, I'm good. And it's so interesting because they all assumed that she would have been vulnerable. Anya's like, well, when I was in a breakup, like, I got turned into a demon by him. And I think they all assumed that like Willow was in such a rough spot that she would just immediately say yes and all pray to him. And yeah. it's so interesting that like when the time came to it, she was like, "No, I'm like not that sad. Like <laughs> I'm not. You know what I mean?" Um, and so it 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 was something so affirming uh, for Willow. I think not only to be like you're so powerful that this person pays attention to you, but also to realize that like she didn't need that person to pay attention to her to be like no, I can, like, figure this out. Like, I got it. Um, So I think in a way, this sort of, like, it does. It foreshadows the trajectory she's going to follow. It's this, like, supremely powerful witch. Uh, And uh, I don't know. It's so interesting because it's, like, to me, there's so much foreshadowing this episode that, like, you obviously don't catch a first time because I was so tripped up over Oz. Uh, The first time I watched this episode, I thought he was just going to come back in, like, an episode or two after he packed his bags. And then I was, like kind of watching this episode, I was like, oh, he's, like, really going to be gone for a bit. Like, this is some real shit. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, he yeah, he doesn't come back till the Tara episode when Willow yeah. comes out. And then he comes back for Restless, and then we never see him again. Yeah. R.I.P. my baby boy. Yeah. Bye, Seth. <laughs> my favorite of the, like, stupid, like, the magic mishaps... I actually, we didn't talk about this, I actually really like Xander and Anya in this episode. I like them just running from demons the entire episode, well, for like half the episode, um, and them being like kind of panicked. And when they run into Giles' apartment, I love that whole beat, where they're running in, and they're like, oh my god, we have to get out of here. And like him and Anya immediately barricade Giles' door, and then he's like, what's going on? But Why are you two holding hands? Or <laughs> Anya says, why are you two holding hands? And they're like, we're engaged. And they're like, what? How? Why? And Giles is like, excellent questions. Like, I feel like that is really good Buffy, like a Buffy beat. Um, Because it's like funny, it's still advancing the plot, um, and they're all like spinning on all wheels. I don't know. I really like that moment. Well, yeah, it's fun. They, they, uh, yeah, the show's really good about bringing the disparate plots together in like sort of like fun, uh, campy, sitcom-y ways, but they always get there, right? There's like always... Um, an end to the means, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah, that was a good. I hadn't thought of it until you brought it up, but actually, it was a really funny, very like tidy way to 
unite everyone that episode. Yeah. I really like that. Um, Oh, the other thing, I guess we should talk about the weird scene where Buffy sees Riley and she tells him she's engaged. Oh my god, yeah. (laughs) That was a five-alarm fire. I was like, I am... I'm, like, Trixie Mattel gift calling the police. Like, <laughs> nine one fucking one. <laughs> like, right? And it made, it even, like, that scene made me, like, cringe. Like, I'm just like, ugh. How does she talk her way out of this later? Like, that seems like that, <laughs> that's a deal breaker, ladies. Like, that just feels like you don't want to talk to that person anymore, right? Like... <laughs> Well, this is also why I just don't think... I think you're right, Matt, that, like, Riley's not a fleshed-out character. At the end, I wrote down this line because it pissed me off so much. He goes, so you're insane, but you're still single? Okay, then. Like, that was it. I That's screen- all he said to her. I screenshot those because I was like, oh, this is men talking to me. <laughs> no, literally, I was like, this is just, like, uh, your second message on Grindr. It's like, hey, hi. So you're insane, but you're still single. All right, great. Like, <laughs> like you're uh, insane, but I can, we can fuck. So, all right. <laughs> whoa, well, that, this gets the job done. We're fine. Yeah. But, like, right, I feel like I wouldn't want to talk to that person who their cover story was, oh, it was a joke. I thought it would be really funny to tell you I was getting married. Like, I would be yeah, like... I'd be like, do you know how many people thought for us to be able to get married? <laughs> and now you're making a joke of it? <laughs> no, right. No, uh, straight people don't get that, though. Yeah, no. <laughs> but, no. Um, also, it's crazy. I didn't realize they didn't kiss yet. Oh, weird. Yeah. Like he goes Who? he goes in for the kiss, but then he doesn't kiss her and they haven't kissed yet. Who? Buffy and Riley. Oh yeah, yeah. No, they're not together. Well, right, but not you know, not everyone is me. We don't all start off on the first date going, you know, full fourth base. Like... <laughs> it's not sucking dick then getting to know each other. It's oh getting <laughs> Oh my gosh. I I don't know. It is college though. So. <laughs> Well, right, Gabe? Like, even, I feel like straight people do that too, right? <laughs> oh, on WB, it's like, you date for a year, and then you look at each other in the eyes. That's true. And, treat, and then on the second anniversary, you have your first kiss, and then on graduation day, you have sex. <laughs> it's, like, very tender. Yeah. No one's and spitting in each other's mouths. <laughs> 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 well, anyway. Meanwhile, like, hi. Oh, and now here I am on the floor. <laughs> I just, I, like, that just surprised me. Like, not that I expected them to fuck, but I was like, it didn't even occur. Like, I mean, we've been watching it for our podcast, and I was like, wait, they haven't fucking kissed yet? God. How well, boring. I think also, it's she's, he's still her TA, and I think they just think it's really... My God, yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> but TA, aren't TAs usually also, like, can't they sometimes also be students? Yeah, they, they usually are. are. They're like, yeah, They're grad students. Grad students, not yes. like... So it's, yeah. not, it's not like he's, like, a professor who's, like, you know. Yeah, but he grades her papers. He, honestly, I'm sorry, he deadass looks 38, though. Like, this man looks... <laughs> he's so, like, like, listen, so this is Army crazy. Hammer, call me by your name. He's not 24. <laughs> he's clearly in his mid-30s. 
<laughs> like when the revelation about the shit he's doing comes out, I'm like, okay, is he now gonna lie? And this is gonna be some 21 Jump Street shit. We're gonna find out he was like 40 but undercover as like a junior. Like I really expected. Hello, fellow children. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Hello, fellow children. I mean, I think he's cute. I think he literally like I know people say this to mean cute, but I think he literally looks like a puppy dog. Like he has a weird smushed face, and like I like pugs and French bulldogs, so like. I've let him hit it. And not even, he looks like a golden retriever that is like in a tired age now. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh my God. This is my 14 year old golden retriever. He really can't retrieve anything. Yeah, exactly. We're just waiting for him to die. He just likes picnics and walking around campus. We can't get him to do He's my he's, he's my aunt's dog that when it was dying it smelled because it had like yeah, testicular right. cancer. Like, oh my god! Was, we're not sure how old he is, but we're gonna yeah. keep feeding him. The doctors aren't sure. He just <laughs> he only eats oatmeal. God. <laughs> um. Okay. So wait. I just want to say something. Those apology cookies that Willow made look terrible. They look dry as fuck. No way! I want cookies now. I like. I just rewatched the end of that episode earlier, and I'm like, I've been wanting. I like went downstairs to look for cookies after I watched that episode. I live near this like custom cookie place called Milk Jar in LA, and I went there for the first time yesterday. And they make like all these specialty cookies, and they had a waffle cookie that was maple dough with bits of waffle inside of it. What? It changed my life. That sounds delicious. This was not spawn content. They did not give me twenty dollars. <laughs> this on my podcast but if they would like to sponsor our podcast they totally can <laughs> brought to you by milk jar that's right it's milk jar um and then when they say that buffy wanted wind beneath her wing wind beneath my wings to be <laughs> the first dance because buffy is still a basic white girl <laughs> yeah yeah but a basic white girl that we love <laughs> yeah. um and i do like yeah that's like I do appreciate also her reaction when she's like, oh, it was just the spell, blah, 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 blah. Oh my God, Riley thinks I'm engaged. Like, because I mean, like we always say, Sarah Michelle Gellar is really underrated, but I think her, like, delivery there is really good. <laughs> Man, her comedic timing just in general on this show, like, uh, slaying it all the time. Yeah, I feel like uh, she's not fully intended. Because Gabe is a comedic actress. <laughs> oh my God. Stop, stop. Gabe is a good... I don't live in L.A. yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh. That's small indie comedy right now. Um, <laughs> no, but... Um, no, I think in this episode, too, she's, like, hysterical. And I... One thing that... that well, there's this one moment that I love when she's, like, um, singing the bride's procession on, on uh, Spike's arm with the little figurine... Yeah. But they never explain where she got that little figurine from. Like, did Giles uh, yeah. uh -huh. little bride and groom in his house? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> I like the idea of just Giles having them, like, laying around. I, like, I hope there was, like, a deleted scene where, like, Buffy and Spike go, like, cake shopping. <laughs> oh and then God. someone won't make the cake because they don't approve of interspecies marriage. <laughs> I believe that marriage is between one human man and one human woman. <laughs> Vampires are statistically shown to be worse parents. They cannot provide a stable household. And they only feed their children blood. <laughs> I will not be making a cake for no 
for a sweet human woman and some fangy man. <laughs> this is great, guys. I'm eating this up. I'm having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> have fangs. Uh, Haven't any of these Christian cakes? <laughs> What's the thing from True Blood? That's what I keep thinking of. God hates fangs or whatever. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Right. <laughs> Do you remember back when people were like, wow, like Alan Ball is so subtle with True Blood? I was like, I'm sorry, what? This is like when articles come out being like, X Men was uh, like an allegory or like a metaphor for gay rights in the 80s. I was like, okay, like, yup, I get it. Like, <laughs> there's a parallel here with queerness and feeling like an outsider. Like, I don't. It's like, no but shit. But like, God hates fangs was, it just took it over the top for me. I was like, her name is Sookie Stackhouse and she lives in this universe. They, we're just, we're going for it. They literally reference Buffy in like the second or third episode of True Blood. Oh, yes. Yeah. Like, I remember the guy yeah. being like, man, I wish Buffy would come to town. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> I was sort of, I always hoped that that show would sort of become a Buffy. Yes, uh, but it never did. It, it never show? did. It just, it was eventually just like very fit vampires in like Ikea furniture warehouses. It was very strange. And like, I, I always thought that the first, first of all, the first season, even though that's the one that got everyone addicted, like it was just like a weird murder mystery yes and then afterwards they were like well this is every season now there's just a new supernatural kind of thing that comes to town and they're just like Sookie's gonna fuck one of the supernatural things <laughs> <laughs> yep. yeah and yeah, then it's very twilighty in that sense too it was like yeah and i just watching true blood we can even like i don't know we don't have to air all of this but like ugh, they were so bad to tara and she was the best part of the early part of the show and that she was that character that just gets beat up all the time by the writers, and every time they wanted something bad to happen to someone, they made it happen to Tara. Yo, Tara's always get the short end of the stick in a supernatural show. If you're a say. Tara, and your friends are magic, you are fucked. You're gonna have a hard time. <laughs> wow, that's so real, though. You're so right. right. If you're Tara, you're getting fucked harder than some of us on a first date. What? <laughs> than I have uh. in years. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. So let's 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 uh grade. Let's give our epi- our grades for this episode. What do we think of something blue? Well, wait, no, no, no. We have to go through our. What do we think? Oh, okay. What do we think? Um, would have happened to Dawn in this episode? Gabe? Oh my gosh, I have a good I have a good answer for this. Honestly, I do. I thought about it. Well, Gabe, if you need to think about it, Matthew can go first. Usually, I make our guests go first, but okay. Well, I have one. Okay, well, oh, you know yeah. what, Gabe, go first, because that was just one. All right, disclosure, I, like, kind of low-key despised Dawn, um, and I thought she was going to go away after her season the first time I watched it, and the fact that she stuck around uh, really upset me, and we can talk about that another time. Um, but because I think Dawn traditionally, or at least at a young age, got, like, really silly, like, C-plots um, that, like, vaguely contributed to the narrative and were kind of funny. I think that instead of going to visit Willow, Giles would have made Dawn go out for this stuff, and she would have, like, accidentally stumbled onto, like, a weird mini-adventure with the demons that were chasing Xander and, like, her and her high school friends getting donuts and picking up Mother Wart would have had to deal with them. Um, and then at the end, like, Dawn would have just, like, stumbled in. Um, and I think Dawn probably would have commented on Buffy and Spike kissing. And then everyone would have been like, uh, But yeah, that's, 
That's what I think. <laughs> she right. would have got the comedic C plot, which is <laughs> what she deserves. <laughs> um, Matthew, what do you think she would have done? All right. So Willow. So Willow and Tara talk about it, but Tara is very young. And Willow's like, you wouldn't understand. You're too small. And Dawn, then Dawn, because Tara. Dawn, sorry, Willow <laughs> says, Dawn, you wouldn't understand. You're too small. And then her will is done. And, Ta- and Dawn begins to shrink in size. <gasps> she is very. <laughs> I like that plot. I like that idea. I like both I these ideas. I love that. Better That's mean, really I guess great. smart. You're both like writers. Yeah, I mean, I ain't so. Let's, let's, let's write a spec script. <laughs> now yeah. I think I have nothing to say. I'm like, I don't know. She would have been there and laughed. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Dawn would have been the one that had to like, Dawn would have almost been like Anya where she had to do a lot of the like, guys, what are you doing? What are you doing? Like, we got to do a thing because like kind of like Xander and Anya, which are my favorite in this episode because they're the ones... Yes. That while they, Xander is also cursed, it's not really affecting him, like, personally. Like, it's not affecting his person, and Anya's not involved. So I think Dawn would have had to be with them and kind of like them. And I do think there, I, Gabe is right, there would have been a moment when Dawn mentioned the kissing, and everyone would have been like, like, record scratch. Um, yeah, that's what I think would have happened with Dawn, because I think she would have fit well into this episode, um, and best outfit, Matthew. I, so, you know, I, I always watch my outfits, girl, but I didn't think that there was a lot of super great outfits here. So I'm going to just say Willow's jacket when she gets taken by DeHoffering because it has the flowers on the back and she's staying true to her flowery self. <laughs> All right. Gabe. Well, I'm glad you said that because I love DeHoffering's robe. <laughs> Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, so actually I love a good choker. I know we're like Y2K turn of the millennium here. So the first scene where Buffy's wearing like a choker and I don't know if she's like wearing like a tank top or a crop top, but it's like this weird, like gold beige color. Uh, it's perfect. It's everything. It's the nineties. It's under the lesbian Alliance banner. It's perfect. It's giving me little affair. It's giving me Clarissa explains it all. And she has a cheetah it's giving print me skirt. Melissa Etheridge. <laughs> oh, oh my God. You're right. I totally <laughs> forgot about that. Wait, I'm like scrolling. <gasps> oh my God. Wow. Okay. Giving this episode an A plus on that alone. So, <laughs> so we are, we're living for this. We stand, we stand a cheetah skirt. Oh my god, you're right! And then with these, like, chunky, oh, <laughs> the shoes. <laughs> oh, I love the 90s. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an outfit, and I, as you mentioned, being under the lesbian banner just makes it all, like, wonderful. <laughs> Perfect, we're there. Um, I wanted there. to point out that Matthew always says this is her best season for her hair, and I fucking hate her hair in this episode. That crimp... You don't her scrims, the no. crimp kills me! Ah. And she has it at two different points in the episode, which makes no sense. Because isn't it like you do it and it like stays like that for a while? Oh, yeah. You wouldn't straighten it again and then do it again. Yeah. Especially if you're busy killing vampires. <laughs> right, like, because she has it crimped when she's under the lesbian banner. And then later, she has her hair and it's like straight and it's in a ponytail. And she looks very cute. But then, like, the next scene again, it's crimped again. I fucking hate the crimp. 
it kills and me. then in the very last scene you can tell they shot all the scenes with sir michelle geller and whoever the hell plays riley because her hair is only crimped in scenes with riley it's no, so weird it's crimped when she's kissing spike those are the those are like the three oh, scenes it, where it's crimped yeah oh my god you're right it's and so she chases weird. him down oh yep uh-huh because my fa- my favorite outfit is when she's feeding Spike the library mug. I just think the red looks really good on uh-huh. her. It's like a simple red, and she has a cute ponytail and showing off her earrings, which I like. That's my favorite. Um, favorite scene, Gabe? Um, come back to me on this. I have to think about it for a second. Matthew? Um, my favorite scene is... The one that where uh, they're all figuring out like what's happening to them, and like Xander is trying to, is like the one trying to remember what happened. Oh my god! Wait, my favorite outfit is Xander's baseball T-shirt with the orange on it. It does um, look cute on him, right? It looked really cute I on know. him. And I know I don't know what Gabe Gabe's gonna have some comment or something, but <laughs> I usually, I don't always find Xander cute, but I think he's very cute in season four, and I think in this episode he looked very hot. I knew you picked that because I've seen that exact same top on a supposed frat bro who was just chilling with his friend, uh, and that escalated into something a little more intimate. And this was a scene on a website. I'm sure you would love Matthew. It shall remain nameless. Oh, calm down. But let's calm ju- down. let's just say that top that top is very reminiscent of of a top of <laughs> porn star bro. I know, bro. I know yeah, you it's need a porn to star bro top. I, I need. To- to leave to go watch a Helix Studios movie later by game. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have no idea what we're talking about anymore, but um, that is a cute top that he's wearing. I think you're right, Xander. <laughs> does look good. Um, anyway, that is a cute top. <laughs> <laughs> so I like the red that Buffy wears when she's feeding Spike, but I also like the red Anya wears. I think it looks cute on her. Um, I like a bold red. Um... So how do we grade the episode, gentlemen? Oh, oh. also, sorry, I lied. I mentioned this earlier. I just totally blanked on it. My favorite scene is when they're in the tub and they're both just talking about Willow. Uh, like, Giles and Buffy are talking about Willow. Oh. And they're so, like, dumb about it. And they get called up by Spike. Oh, wait, so, I didn't say my favorite scene. <laughs> yeah, you got to share yours, too, before we grade it. Um, my favorite scene is it's a close tie. It's, I love that scene that Gabe just mentioned where they're discussing that and she's feeding him and there's like there's actually like sexy sexual tension between Buffy and Spike when she's like ooh my neck I'm like ooh girl get on top of him and like punch him in the face while he's while you're having sex um I have a problem um and the scene when Xander walks in and him and Anya are barricading the door and they're like oh my god these demons are chasing me why are you two holding hands like that's those are my two favorite scenes um and now we can grade the episode I think that this is a central episode to understanding a lot about the series, especially going forward. And even though it gets a little too silly at times, I'm going to give it an A minus. Game. Um, okay. I agree with Matt that there are some things to this episode that are central to understanding transformations and new storylines and just sort of like relationships moving forward in the series. However, um, the Riley plot really uh, ruined the episode for me. I thought their dialogue was cheesy. All the like weird flirting over like cars, 
Uh, oh my and like cars. Oh my god, the cars. Just that whole I'm I was ready to talk about that this episode and I'm kind of glad we didn't cuz I would have gotten way too upset. I forgot um, that. Yeah, just like the, their little bit of dialogue that was like cheesy and like a little self-aware but like also just like really terrible and makes me not buy that Buffy would ever be attracted to him is what brings the episode down. So I'm going to give it a B B plus. Because I and I think this is a very strong Willow episode that helps orient the character and helps us understand how she sees the world. So B plus. All right, I think I'm giving it an A minus. I think I agree with Matthew. Um, thanks for joining us, Gabe. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm oh my god, I'm just so psyched this podcast exists and that I had. <laughs> an excuse to watch Buffy this weekend. <laughs> um, uh, I was like, sorry, I can't hang out. I just I need to watch all of season four right now. Right. <laughs> I have very important work to do. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so thank you everyone for listening. If you want to follow our podcast on Twitter, you can follow us at SlayerFestX98. If you'd like to follow Matthew on Twitter, you can follow him at Matthew Rodriguez, one T, a G, and a Z. If you want to follow Ian, you can follow him on Twitter at IanXCarlos. And Gabe, where can everyone find you? Uh, yeah, you can also find me on Twitter at Gaybones, uh, G-A-Y-B-O-N-E-Z. Uh, and that's kind of my handle for everything. I just, I solely exist on the internet now, so Same. great to meet you. Please come back soon. <laughs> um, and only, if, I only live here. And if you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and rate us if you love us. Thank you. And, and please. <laughs> All right. See you guys next week. Bye. Bye.